Hey guys, it's your host and content creator, Ash, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Murder Docs. This is episode nine, 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 super exciting. And this is titled The Book of Elijah. So this is actually one of the pieces that has been published in my Just a Dash of Murder. Uh, it was published last year and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a doozy. I wanted to highlight, you know, black youth and child abuse, so trigger warning, I'm going to put that in there. Child abuse. Um, it's about a young black male who was just dealt with a shitty hand with shitty parents, and he's struggling to find his way to be himself. And it's not easy. So I took this from, you know, some stories that I've had to personally deal with as a social worker and things I've seen, you know, things I've read about, you know, just things I've encountered and just kind of like incorporated it into my story. So fun fact, the picture used in the publishing and, you know, the cover is actually a picture of my dad when he was about 14, 15. So I was just kind of inspired, you know, just seeing young black male representation and wanting to put that out there. Uh, also, this is to those who've had to deal with situations of abuse and neglect. Don't let this world harden you. You are important. You matter. You are loved. If your situation isn't safe, isn't healthy, there are people out there that want to help and can help. Just please search out those resources. Say something. Open up. You, you are worthy of love and respect. Ooh, so, yes, I hope you enjoy episode number nine. And also, update. So I've been working on some content. I've actually created some art, and I'm going to be working on creating that as a poster. So, again, I have a Facebook page, uh, Murder Docs, facebook.com. Murder, again, is spelled M-U-R-D, number three, R, docs, D-O-C. So Facebook and its algorithms are not very fun. But yes, so I'll be posting some merch information up there as well. So I hope you guys enjoy. Happy reading. Happy listening. I've never acted out or had a moment's violence, even when violence was forced upon me. I took everything in, soaking up my parents' hatred for themselves and their hatred for me. Never being drained of their poison, I continued to inhale the smoke from the fires of their chaos. I had enough. So here I sit bloodied and exhausted, the rage released from me and my journal sitting beside me, its pages filled with my childhood secrets of abuse, my biography of pain, written in black magic marker I titled it, The Book of Elijah. Blood stains on its pages and cover, I finished the last chapter. I'm sure the sight of me caught my neighbors off guard and their fear resulted in the police being called. Hearing their sirens in the background, I wasn't trying to hide. I just wanted things to change. I welcomed the police, 
I saved myself. Chapter 1 My daddy was Bernard Barry Greg Scott, a native of Philadelphia. He was a grunt in the Army, Special Forces. He had a long history of crime once he came back to the States after almost a 20-year career. His background filled with loose women, drug smuggling, and unchecked mental health. He hated authority, and he got him discharged from the career he built. He ended up working in the factories back at home with nothing to show for it. My mother, Louise Renee Scott, was previously known as Louise Johnson, came from a broken home. She was one of four girls, all of whom suffered histories of sexual abuse by their father, James. I never knew my grandfather, but if he created the monster that my mother was, I was thankful. Louise barely finished high school and took to the streets. She wasn't the smartest woman, and she ended up working the clubs and corners of Reading, PA, our hometown. She liked cocaine and music. Both were her escape when things became too hard for her to manage. But then again, she barely ever tried. Unchecked mental health and trauma, she met my father, and they hit it off. They met in a seedy club on the south side of the city, known as Jeffrey's Place. The drinks would flow, marijuana filled the air, and clearly, love was created. They got married, and soon after, their dramas held back began to ooze through. My mother never stopped hooking. She was doing less of the street walking, but more of the bar hanging. She'd meet men and bring them home for the quick dollars while my daddy was working long hours at the factory. They had some sort of understanding, but it all came crashing down when she got pregnant. Chapter 2 After a year of marriage, I was born August 11th, 1978. Elijah Julius Scott came to be. My parents were everything but thrilled. My mother laid off her cocaine habit for her pregnancy, but when she gave birth, she was back to snorting and partying. My father, from the very moment of my birth, resented me. He knew he wasn't my father, and that hatred for me became its birth as well. They stayed together, my mother not wanting more kids, had her tubes tied. Honestly, she didn't want to be a mother to begin with. My early years, I remember just being alone. At three years old, the physical abuse began. I had an accident on the carpet. My journey through potty training was horrendous. Having a weak bladder, and bedwetting led to beatings and fear of ever needing to use the bathroom. My mother threatened to cut off my penis if I didn't use the toilet right. I learned real quick to hold it. Even at six years old, my father showed me there was no ounce of love for me on his part. He'd strike me every chance he felt challenged, taking his own traumas and trials out on me. The life of a black man was filled with injustice and burdens all of which he carried. Those heavy obligations were beaten into me. His scars became mine. It was my fault. My mother was a fast piece of ass and couldn't be faithful. It was my fault. His job treated him like shit 
It was my fault that his aspirations went nowhere. And it was my fault I existed. When the beatings were their worst, I prayed to die. He didn't want to kill me physically, only because who would he pour his pain into once I was gone? I had a purpose. He needed me. My mother was no better. Never did she save me or aid me in my battles with Barry. Louise had a routine to tune me out. She would ignore my cries and go about her existence. She'd drown out both his strikes and my pain to the tunes of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. She'd be in her vanity, putting on her face and styling her wig. A line of coke sat on the glass table of the vanity and waited to be ingested. It was the final step in her beauty routine. All in all, she prepared for dates with Johns as I was being brutalized. One day in school, when I was seven years old, my teacher approached me. After seeing signs of abuse, she'd pull me to the side and ask me about my home life. I gave her no information, but she greeted me with a warm meal after noticing the signs of hunger. Home life was rocky, and there were nights I'd go without eating because I didn't deserve food. I'd find myself eating from the garbage cans lined along the streets as I walked to my school building. My teacher, Mrs. Roberts, would tell me that things could get better if I would just open and talk to her. She'd tell me people were in the world to help families. The magical thoughts and comments that came from her mouth gave me hope. After a week of warm meals at school, thanks to Mrs. Roberts, my father accused me of stealing food at home. Food he worked hard for, and just by looking at me, he said he knew I had eaten it. I never touched the refrigerator, not even for a cup of water. He beat me so bad. I ended up missing three days of school. After the beating, I sat in the bathroom on the toilet seat lid. My mother wiped the blood from my open abrasions. Louise was a broken woman. After her own fight with Barry, she was there cleaning my face from my own battle with Barry. Mama, I began. Yes, child. My teacher told me there's people that can help us. I referred to the conversation I had with Mrs. Roberts. My mother stopped wiping my face and held it with one hand. Squeezing my cheeks in between her fingers, she parted my swollen lips. She stared at me deeply and angrily. Ain't nobody ever helped me when my daddy was touching me. Ain't nobody gonna help you. Hush your mouth. House business was house business. She released her grip on me and stood up. She threw the washcloth at my face and left the bathroom. It was that moment. It was solidified that my mother wouldn't advocate for me. I took heed to her warning and kept my mouth shut. My nosy teacher, nicknamed by my mother, lost interest in my home trauma. She ended up just being another white woman with a savior complex. She stopped bothering with me, and her question sessions over a meal stopped. I'm sure she reported me to social services, but they never came to my house or seen me. I'm sure I ended up being another file thrown into the pile, resting on the desk, 
of another overworked caseworker. Chapter 3 Birthdays were just like any other day. I was thankful for just being left alone. When I turned 11, I was able to simply leave the house and stay away for hours on end. I always thought about running away, but I had no family. I knew nothing outside of my parents, and if they are the monsters they are, I would never want to be involved with people who made them. In school, I made friends, connections I felt could ease the pain and emptiness I had. I never felt love. But if people making you laugh and showing you kindness was what love was, I was thankful. I never had anything more than the clothes I needed and the mattress I slept on at home. My parents would let me stay over friends' houses, and I tried to soak up all the goodness I could when I wasn't home. The parents of my friends were warm and welcoming. My dirty used clothes, they'd wash and care for them when I was there. Their homes were neat compared to mine. Louise wasn't a homemaker, and she didn't clean. She barely cooked. Her lack of home training, Buried would call it, led to their fights. He never struck her like he did me, but he'd emotionally damage her more than what she was. He'd push her and choke her from time to time, but nothing like my abuse. Even with all my struggles, I never told a soul. I found solace in writing out my life. Journals I'd make out of spiral notebooks, a collection of my life. I'd hide them under the sink in the bathroom. Barry wanted no evidence of his torture, and when he found my first one, he ripped it up in front of me. He called me a little bitch for the things I wrote. He'd tell me I was a pussy for having feelings, and if I simply just wrote them, I made them real. Chapter 4 I could still taste the blood in my mouth from him splitting my lip. His punches I became slightly immune to. His forcefulness of him grabbing me and throwing me against walls still hurt, but nothing compared to my younger years. I was 14 now. My back ached from the recent fight over him trying to knock me down. I was stronger than before. I stood 5 feet 10, where he was a solid 5 foot 8. I didn't fear him. My hatred for him grew, and I wanted to be out of this house. It being 93, the world was at the palms of my hands. Creative music trends and icons filled MTV. I cherished the poetic lyrics of Tupac and valued his presence. He was inspiring, and my journals went from being simply stories of life to lyrics. In school, I'd sit alone and listen to the Walkman I found on the bus and the cassette tapes I saved up from doing odd jobs for neighbors. He spoke to my soul, and I felt such a strong connection. I'd imagine my life outside of this house, and being an adult, never speaking to my parents again, and having a career in writing or the music industry. Being a hardened black man was never my plans. I wanted to be nothing like Barry or Louise. I questioned if I even wanted children, for the fear of their trauma seeping out into my parenting sickened me. 
I would never want to expose that to another human being. I sat in my room, and I could hear Barry coming into the house from the bar. Louise, again, had nothing cooked, and the house was messy. They began their fight, and I could hear the furniture being moved and pushed. He choked her again. I could hear her crying and yelling at him, blaming him for everything. Barry called her a coked-out, bald-headed whore. She called him a sorry son of a bitch. She told him he had nothing to show for himself in this world, and included me in the argument. She called him weak, and told him that he wasn't even man enough to get her pregnant, that a John had been able to do the job for $40. I could hear his footsteps coming up to my room. He kicked at my door, opening it, and we stared at each other. My earphones over my ears and Tupac playing. We started fighting. An hour passed. I could feel my eyes swelling and lip bleeding, my collar loose from him choking me. Barry was on the sofa, and I was in the kitchen. Louise was upstairs. Things settled down, or so they thought. Chapter 5 I was a balloon air filling me to my limit, where the elastic could stretch no more. I popped. Pieces of my stretched being lay throughout this house. On the sofa laid, slumped, was the body of my father, caught off guard in an alcohol-induced nap. I smashed his head in with a hammer. The bloodied weapon lay next to the ashtray, where his lit cigarette rested, with its smoke still lingering. Barry was dead. Bloody footprints marked his chest and stained his opened, buttoned-up dress shirt, silk. I stood on his chest and stomped him as hard as I could. His groin blood as well, the metal knife still sticking from its flesh. His manhood was reinforced by his assaults on me. The daily beating caused nothing but suffering. With my swings, I went into overkill. My mother... Louise was upstairs. She came down from her bathroom. After getting herself primped and primed, she caught the sight of my butchery. In horror, she ran back upstairs and into the bathroom. I chased after her. In our power struggle of her trying to force the bathroom door shut was no use for my rage. She deserved everything I had left over. When I got the door open, she screamed as loud as she could but her screams didn't stop me. It was like the bathroom scene from The Shining. Her fear genuine and my psyche broken. Her pleas and begging fell on deaf ears, like her ears ignored my screams and pleas for her protection. Overpowering her and standing over as she crawled to the side of the tub, having the knife, the one I pulled out of my father's corpse, I began slashing at her her forearm shielding her face, and her knees up trying to stop my attack. Eventually she let her guard down, her body going limp to the floor. I stood over her, stabbing her, repeatedly until the sounds of slush were made and she was dead. The sounds of stabbing her were like the sounds of stirring mac and cheese, wounds from her face and torso blood. One final step I took was to slash her throat. 
her silence continued my pain. She reinforced and encouraged his rage on me, so she was just as guilty, if not more, for my torture. The final chapter. The police approached me, and the neighbors looked on as the scene unfolded. I put my hands above my head, still holding the pen I was using to write. Wasn't sorry, and I felt freer than I have ever felt before. The officers asked me questions about what happened, but I couldn't hear them. They're inside. It's the only thing that came to mind. They cuffed me and put me in the back of a police car. I was another black male living the life of going through the pipeline to prison simply because no one saved me. The house was sealed off with crime scene tape and more cop cars came. The coroner arrived and I watched them carry the black body bags of Barry and Louise. I felt nothing but a cool calmness. I was ready to expose them and show the world the ugliness of their parenting. I was ready to live. Thank you.